I'm sure all of us have experienced uh, a time where we have, we have plans made only to see our best laid plans get changed. Life has a, has a tendency to do that. I know it can be big things. It can be smaller things. I know by this time I planned to be a principal. God was gracious enough to change my plans, and I'm glad that he did. Uh, one time we planned to go uh, on vacation to San Francisco. We, uh, uh, Rachel has a brother who lives in San Francisco, and we thought, what a perfect opportunity to go see family and see the, the wonders of the, the Golden Gate Bridge and the crushing depression of unsolvable homelessness all at the same time. Just you don't get that opportunity every day, so we were going to do that. Instead, we had a little medical issue in our family, and we had surgery and, and healing instead of vacation that year. What are you going to do? Uh, usually, when our plans change, it's because something of a higher priority has trumped our plans. Even if it's like weather-related, you are going to go see grandma or go to the ball game or whatever, and a snowstorm blows through, the priority of your physical safety trumped the priority of going to see grandma. That's the way life works. And even the Apostle Paul was not immune to such things. Clear back in the beginning of this book, in the really the first almost the first paragraph after his opening lines, Paul made clear that he wanted to come to Rome. He wanted to, to come to Rome to visit this fledgling church there. And he said in Romans 1.13 that, that he had been prevented from coming. I want to come, but something's been preventing me from getting there. Today, 14 chapters later, Paul's probably finally going to talk about what has been preventing him from going to Rome. Today, Paul's going to say, now there's nothing preventing me from coming anymore, so I'm coming. I plan to be there soon. Then Paul will say, there's just one little errand I have to run, and then I'm on my way. The best laid plans of mice and men. Because we know now what Paul didn't know then. His plans were going to change. And so this morning we are going to read through and study a really interesting passage of Scripture. Um, Romans 15, 22 through 33. Here's what makes this so interesting to me. We see the Apostle Paul... He's, he's writing his best plans. In, we believe here this book is the inerrant word of God. Right? It's perfect. But Paul is writing his very errant plans <laughs> into the inerrant word of God. So we're going to see a writer of Scripture write stuff that is going to change. And, and from this very unique passage we can learn some things about the importance for us making plans. Um, we're we're going to learn about priorities. And we're going to learn something very, some very important things about prayer. 
in this passage this morning. Let's read it. Romans chapter 15, verses 22 through 33, and they read this way. For this reason, I have often been prevented from coming to you. But now, with no further place for me in these regions, and since I have had for many years a longing to come to you whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing. I hope to be helped on my way to Spain by you when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. But now I'm going to Jerusalem, serving the saints there. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to the saints in Jerusalem. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual thing, things, uh, the Gentiles are indebted to minister to the Jewish Christians also in material things. Therefore, when I have finished this little errand and have put my seal on this fruit of theirs, I will go on by way of you to Spain. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. And now, Verse 30, now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea and that my service for, for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. There is our passage this morning. We start in verses 22 through 24, where we read uh, Paul's plan to visit uh, this new church, this young church in Rome. Again, he, Paul in a real way is picking up where he left off 14 chapters before this. I had it on the screen a minute ago. In chapter 1, he said a couple of different ways. I want to come to you. I hope you know I want to get there. I'm going to come. I've just been prevented thus far. And today, thus far, excuse me, today, he tells us what has been preventing him. Do you see it at the very beginning of verse 22? You see what has prevented Paul from coming? This. This is the reason I couldn't come. That's not terribly clear, is it? But that's what it is. This is why I was hindered from coming to you. To find the this, we have to look up in the last week's passage. The this that has kept Paul from coming to Rome is his ministry. A higher priority. Paul's ministry, uh, we described this some last week, but Paul's ministry was to be a frontier church planner, to go into places, to regions where there were no Christians, nobody had ever heard of Jesus, and plant churches. He would go to a key city, uh, evangelize some folks. He usually started with, with Jews if there was a synagogue there. Um, but he would convert some people to Christ or see the Lord convert them. And he would establish a church, appoint elders, and then he would go on to the next city. Uh, when he went on to the next city, those elders that he appointed, like Timothy, he would tell them things like this. 2 Timothy 4.5, do the work of an evangelist. 
Paul today is going to say, there's no, there's no work left for me in those regions. And I'll show you the regions in a minute. But that doesn't mean the work was done. Just Paul's job was to, again, in those key cities, plant a church, go to the next key city. Then he would leave people behind and say, you, do the work of an evangelist. Or all that stuff you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust that stuff to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's the, the evangelistic work of the ancient world. That's the evangelistic work of the modern world. Paul plants a church, leaves people there and says, do the work of the evangelist. This gospel that I taught you, teach others who can teach others who can teach others who can teach others. And by the time Paul sits down to write the book of Romans, he says, there's nothing more to keep me in these regions. Right? It's not that everybody's a Christian, that all the work is done, but Paul's been to all the key cities. And so Paul has, um, Paul has his ministry site set on a new mission field. Paul wants to come to Rome, but that's not his actual target. Paul wants to go to Spain. Paul's calling given to him personally from the risen Jesus was to go places where there were no Christians. There were Christians in Rome. He's writing this letter to them. Paul wants to go to Spain. He wants to make Rome his new Antioch. Let me explain that. Here's Jerusalem down here. It's the Mediterranean Sea. Here's Jerusalem. Paul was converted here. Antioch became the early heartbeat of the Christian church. And Paul made Antioch his home base. And these were the regions that Paul says he's done in now. Galatia, for whatever reason, Asia didn't make the map, but there's a little region here called Asia. This is Achaia. Uh, this is uh, Macedonia. That's where Paul's been. He wants to go to Spain, which if you look closely, is like up here on the drywall somewhere, right? Antioch is way too far from Spain for that to be his home base. So Paul says, I want to come to Rome. I want to come to Rome, and I hope that when I pass through there, you will help me on my journey to Spain after I've enjoyed your company for a while. That's Paul's new mission field. I've been hindered from coming to this point because my first priority wasn't done. Now it's done. I have a new priority. It's Spain. And I want to come there and I want you to help me as I go to Spain. I want you to help me by praying for me maybe equipping me on my trip. Maybe there's some, some people in the Roman church who will come with me, and I want you to support me financially on that mission. Now, just logically speaking, Paul sits down to write this letter. He starts telling them, I want to come there. He wants them to support him. Logically speaking, what are those Christians in Rome going to need to know about Paul before they can decide whether or not they want to support him on this mission to Spain. What do they need to know? They need to know what Paul believes. They need to know what, what this message is, what this gospel is that he's going to take to Rome. 
So Paul sits down and writes this letter. You know something just awesome to me? I think this is the greatest missionary support letter that's ever been written. The book of Romans. I think in Paul's brain, Paul sat down because I'm ready to go to Spain. I'm going to need some help. I'll bet those people in, in Rome, I, there's a good church that I've heard. I bet that would be a good home base. It's way closer to Spain. I want those folks to help me. But I know they're going to need to know what I believe. And the Holy Spirit carries Paul along to write out his gospel, what he believes. And Paul thinks he's just writing a missionary support letter. And God preserves it for us, and it becomes the clearest explanation of Christianity anywhere that's ever existed in the world. Isn't God awesome? Paul had his plan for what he was doing. God had his plan for what God was doing. Sometimes they were the same. Sometimes they were slightly different. Paul was just a guy that always wanted to figure out what God was doing and work there. So that's Paul's plan. I'm going to Spain eventually. I want you guys to help me, to send me. So Paul writes him this letter so they know what he believes before he goes. But there's just one little thing Paul says I have to do before I come visit. That's verses 25 through 29. Paul starts to talk about this collection, this offering that he's been collecting, um, that he wants to. Paul's errand he has to run is he has to take what has to be by this point a significant sum of money. Uh, and it's like physical gold, silver, that kind of stuff. And he wants to personally deliver this to the Christians in Jerusalem. He calls them uh, the saints. It's just Christians, people who believe in Jesus, back in Jerusalem. Here's the story, briefly, of this collection. We read about it in all of Paul's letters. We read about it briefly in the book of Acts, um, written by Luke, who traveled with Paul. But here's the story. Um, When Paul was first converted by Christ, and trained up and sent out by the risen Jesus to start his job, there were people who didn't like Paul. There were even people who wanted to be Christian who didn't like Paul. Uh, Jewish Christians, every early Christian for the most part, uh, was, was Jewish. And the movement, they wanted to keep Christianity Jewish. They wanted to make everyone obey the law the whole law of Moses. So you sort of have to convert to Judaism, the, 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 the religion of the Jews. And then you can also be a Christian. Paul hated that. Like hated, hated that. And there was always this friction between those that Paul called the Judaizers, the legalists, and, and, and Paul. And as a part of that conflict, Paul went to Jerusalem one time early in his career and he met the pillars of the early church, Peter, James, and John. So I want to meet with you guys. I want to tell you what I'm preaching and then you tell me if I got that from Jesus, if this is the real gospel or if I need to change. They had that meeting and they 
Peter, James, and John gave Paul their full blessing with one caveat. Paul writes to the Galatians, they, that's Peter, James, and John, they requested only that we remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Now, the poor that they were talking about at that, medium, that meeting in Jerusalem were the poor Christians in Jerusalem. So it's not that Paul maybe didn't do nice things for poor folks everywhere, but this was special. The very first Christians, Christianity starts in and around Jerusalem, and the Christians in Jerusalem got really poor really fast. Jerusalem was a poor city per capita anyway. Um, in fact, Jews that had dispersed from Jerusalem to other parts of the Mediterranean world would often send money home to help support folks in Jerusalem, Jewish people in Jerusalem. But the Christians had it way worse. Because as soon as they accepted Christ and became Christians, they were basically exiled, excommunicated from the Jerusalem or the Jewish community, which was everybody. And it got very difficult to have jobs, to make any kind of money. And so they were really poor. And so Peter, James, and John, they, they, send, they send Paul out and say, go do your thing, brother. We're behind you. Just don't forget about us back here. We're struggling. And so throughout Paul's ministry, he would go to a key city. Uh, he would plant a church. He mentions here specifically Macedonia and Achaia. Guess what the name of one town he went to in Macedonia was? Those were the Bereans, where we get our name. He would plant a church and then he would say, hey, now that you guys have accepted Christ, I want to give you an opportunity to give some money toward this collection that I'm going to take back to the people who sort of kicked off this movement we're in. The early, the first Christians. They're struggling. They're poor. They are discriminated against. They're exploited. All that stuff. So that's, that's the collection. But this is so important to Paul Paul says, I got to take this personally and deliver it. There were, there were more reasons for Paul to want to take this there besides I just want to help out with their material needs, which was important. And, and we see that in here as Paul uh, says stuff I, like I, I, in a minute, he'll say, pray that this is received well. These deeper reasons for Paul. So he had these conflicts with Jews and uh, Jews that thought they were Christians. Paul says in Galatians they aren't actually Christians. These keep Christianity Jewish folks, Paul says, not Christians. But they had a lot of influence in the Christian church. They would sneak in and try to convince people Paul is the one who's wrong. Paul has turned his back on his Jewish roots He's out there welcoming all those filthy pagan Gentiles into this Jewish faith merely because they believe in Jesus Christ. That's their argument. It's false. It's wrong. So Paul says, I want to take this offering back to Jerusalem as a way to say, look, 
Not only do I still understand the Jewishness of this faith, so do the Gentiles. That's where all this money came from. They wanted to send this huge gift back here to you folks because they understand the high price you paid to start this faith. They know that, that, it's, that this faith, this Christianity thing has cost you more than anyone. It's cost you your jobs, your income, your loved ones have been killed. And so they want to send this back to show solidarity with you. Paul wants to communicate. My ministry, Paul would say, is because God is keeping his promise to Abraham. It's a very Jewish aspect. God promised Abraham to bless all the families of the earth through Israel. And so Paul wants to deliver that message with the money. He says, um, for if the Gentiles, let's go up to 27, sorry. For if they, the Gentiles, were pleased to give money, and indeed they are indebted to the Jerusalem saints, they're indebted to the saints, the Gentiles have shared in the Jerusalem saints spiritual things, and the Gentiles are obligated to minister to them in material things. I think that's still true. We as Gentiles, which just means non, not Jewish folks, we got a lot from Israel. You know what we got from Israel? We got the Son of God, and we got the Word of God. Right? With with one author's exception, this thing was all written by Israelite folks. Uh, Dr. Luke is the exception, probably. We owe Israel a great deal. Paul would tell Gentiles, you're obligated to remember Israel. So just for this church, one thing our offerings go to here, we have two... Um, Missionary efforts we support that go straight to Israel in one way or another. One, an organization called Friends of Israel. Uh, we contribute to a fund that just helps with the physical needs back in the Holy Land, back in Israel. I don't remember the name of the fund, but it does stuff like it builds bomb shelters because they need those things for when the terrorists start lobbing missiles again. Uh, it helps with the poor, food banks, things like that. Then on the um, the spiritual side, we, they, the Friends of Israel also evangelizes uh, Jewish folks too, non-believing Jews also. Then we support a guy we just started this year, a guy named Jim Fox. He's been here on, on Good Friday a couple years ago. And Jim, his ministry with Chosen People Ministries uh, is an evangelistic outreach to, to Jewish people. So that's, that's why we want to have those things because Paul said, man, the Gentiles are obligated to minister to Israel in material things. So we do. So that is, that's this collection. And that's why Paul wants to, wants to bring it back. A couple more things about it. First, uh, Paul says this word for contribution right here. Uh, you may have heard the Greek word koinonia. You ever hear the word koinonia? A lot of times in the New Testament, it's translated fellowship. Uh, that's what Paul saw this as. Fellowship, a fellowship offering between Jew and Gentile. 
And the last thing I'll say about this is, uh, I'll steal this, steal this from something I heard John Piper say one time. The gospel can change people. Is that true? One change the gospel can make, the gospel can make people enjoy giving money more than they enjoy keeping money. Um, the, the Macedonians, the Achaeans, the Bereans, they were pleased. They were not coerced. They were not guilted into giving. And you'll not hear me do that either. Here. That's what, we don't even pass plates. If you want to give, give. I would ask God what he wants you to do. But that's between you and him. But I've experienced this in my own life, in my own heart. The gospel can can change people. Yes, God wants us to be good stewards and wise. He doesn't want us to get out over our skis so that we become a burden uh, to others. But the gospel can make people love giving more than they love keeping. And that makes zero sense to someone who doesn't understand the gospel. So that's the collection. So here's where we're at in Paul's story. I've been wanting to come to Rome. I want to come to Rome because I want to go to Spain. I want you to help me. That's why I explained to you what my belief system is. I've got to go to Jerusalem first. And then Paul ends this passage by saying, basically, would you please pray for my trip to Jerusalem? Because Paul knows how dangerous this trip can be. For time's sake, we won't do it, but we could go into the book of Acts and see on multiple occasions people beg Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Paul, please don't go. If you go to Jerusalem, they are going to kill you. The Jews are going to kill you, Paul. Please don't go. In tears, crying, begging, don't go. Paul's going. You know why? The priority of him communicating what his gospel really is about to those first Christians, the pillars in Jerusalem, that was a higher priority than his own life, than his own freedom. Paul was a man who was controlled by his priorities, and his priorities were right. We're all controlled by our priorities. They're just not always right. Paul's were. But Paul knew they might kill me, so would you please pray for me? Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, uh, Paul uh, invokes the name of all three names of, in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to pray to God the Father uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son, in the love of the Holy Spirit. He says, join fervently with me in prayer to God. Right here, uh, join fervently with me. Your Bible might say, I wrote some of these down. Join in my struggle. Uh, strive together with me. You see that in your Bible if you have your Bible open? That's a really interesting word. The word is, I had to write this one down because I don't know this Greek word. Sunago nisastai. That'll be on the quiz later. Sunago nisastai. The reason this word's so interesting, this is the only place it shows up in the Bible, right here. For translators to figure out what this means, they can't go elsewhere in the Bible because it ain't there. So they have to go to other places in Koine Greek, this uh, time period of Greek, to find out what this word means. And you know what that word means? That is the word you would use 
If you were going to describe one person joining a fight on behalf of another person. So if I saw Travis had got himself in a little kerfuffle with the fisticuffs of flying, right, and I stopped and joined in this fight on Travis's behalf, that's this word. And Travis would say, could you send someone tougher, please? <laughs> right, and by the way, calm down, Travis, will you? Tired of bailing you out all the time. Now, that's this word. Come, that's what Paul said. You want to know how Paul viewed prayer? He said, will you get in this fight with me? And Paul viewed those people praying like as his tag team partners in what really was a fight for his life. Like, they might kill me when I get down there. I'm still going but I really don't want to get killed. So would you fight with me? You can't get in the boat with me, but you can fight with me through prayer. And that's only half of his prayer request. It says, pray that I might be rescued. By the way, that's a word for rescuing somebody from physical danger. From those who are disobedient in Judea, that's just the people who don't believe the gospel, Jews who don't believe the gospel. So pray that, but also, and pray that my ministry in Jerusalem might be acceptable to the saints. The last thing Paul wants. Paul's going to risk his life. He knows it. He's made peace with that. But Paul doesn't want to risk his life on the journey getting down there, which is dangerous enough, and then risk his life by showing his face in Jerusalem where all the Jews hate him and half the people who call themselves Christians hate him and want to kill him. He doesn't want to risk his life to present that offering to the saints in Jerusalem to hear him look at that and go, what is this, a bribe? We're trying to pay us off, Paul. We don't want this filthy Gentile money. They've been telling us how you let those filthy pagans just come right in the church. They don't accept the law or anything. Maybe this, maybe this offering will buy you bus fare out of here. Right? Paul doesn't want to hear that. I'm willing to risk my life. Pray they won't kill me. Pray that the hearts of the people I go there to see will receive this offering the way I really mean it. And Paul says, if God answers those prayers the way we want them, by God's will, if that stuff's God's will, I'm going to come to you with all the joy in my heart. It's going to be awesome when I get up there. Man, we're going to have a good time. And I'll be refreshed in your company and then I'll go on my way to Spain. And may the God of peace be with you all. And we learn some things from that passage. First, I'll start by just talking about prayer. We learn some things about prayer from what Paul writes here. First, there's a really, it's a good question. It's a common question about prayer. You've heard it. You've asked it. Question goes something like this. So if God really is sovereign, in control of all things, if God really has written the end 
from the beginning. God has ordained everything that's going to take place already. Why should I? Why should I pray? It's a pretty good question. There's a couple of reasons. One doesn't get dealt with here. One is prayer can get my heart to match up with God's heart, God's will, and what he has planned. That's a big part of prayer. But listen, that's not my only answer. From a passage like this, here's my answer to that seeming conundrum. The Apostle Paul believed prayer could change stuff for the better. He did. Now, how does that fit with the idea of a sovereign God who ordains all things? I have no idea. Sometimes we have to be okay with going, I don't know. Right? My brain is not big enough to understand how the sovereignty of God can fit with prayer changing things, but Paul believed it could. And he talked to Jesus personally on multiple occasions. He went to like personal Jesus seminary, which is way better than the one I went to. And mine was great. Paul believed prayer could change stuff. How does that work? I don't know. Sometimes the best we can do is say, just because I don't have an explanation doesn't mean God doesn't have an explanation. And Paul so believed that prayer could change things that he begged people he'd never met, get in this fight with me. Tag in already. They're going to kill me down there. And you can fight with me. Another thing we learn about prayer here is that prayer doesn't just change circumstances. Prayer can change hearts. Paul says in verse 31, second part, pray that my ministry in Jerusalem will be acceptable to the saints. Paul's ministry has already been collected. That can't change. The only thing that can change there is the hearts of the recipients. Paul says, you pray that God would work in the hearts of the people I'm going to see so that they could receive this the way I mean it. Prayer can change circumstances. Prayer can change people's hearts. But God reserves the right to say no and still be right. And we learn that from Paul too. Some, God, sometimes even when he answers our prayers the way with like the yes we want, it's not in the way we want. Paul says, pray that, my, uh, that this will be acceptable to the saints. You know what we see in the scriptures in the book of Acts about how this was received? Absolutely nothing. I have no idea. Didn't seem to be a lot of them trying to bail him out of jail. I don't know. But Paul says, pray they won't kill me. Did that get answered? Yes, the Jews didn't kill him. <laughs> but you know how Paul or how God rescued Paul from the Jews? By having him arrested by the Romans. Which isn't probably exactly what Paul had in mind. Maybe he should have been more specific, right? He gets arrested by the Romans to get saved from the Jews. And he will come to Jerusalem. And we're going to go to the book of Philippians next, and we're going to see that, so when I come to you, I might come with joy. Paul comes in chains, chained to a Roman guard, 
But you know what else he still comes with? Joy. Because he prayed and people prayed with him and he got kind of the answer I wanted, but not in the way I wanted, but it didn't touch his joy. In a few weeks when we start Philippians, we'll talk plenty more about that. But because the joy that his circumstances couldn't get at, Paul sat down right there in prison in Rome, still gospel-centered, and he kept his letter-writing ministry going. And he wrote a letter to a church in Ephesus we call it the book of Ephesians. And he wrote to the Philippians. And he wrote to the Colossians. And he wrote to a friend of his named Philemon. And we, people have been being touched by the gospel for 2,000 years because God decided to answer Paul's prayers the way God decided to answer Paul's prayers. And instead of throwing his hands up and saying, well, God must be asleep. He must be punishing me. He must hate me this time. God really can't do what he says. I'm just going to sit here until God gets me out of prison. No. He wrote four really wonderful books of the New Testament. What else do we learn from this passage? First, it is good to plan. Like, Paul planned his plans. We saw it. His plans got changed. I don't believe Paul ever made it to Spain, though there's some church traditions that disagree with me, and I won't fight you over it. I think God let Paul, it was good for Paul to have these plans. Paul thought he was writing this letter to get mission support. God knew Paul was writing this letter so that people like you and me could read it 2,000 years later. Turns out God knows what he's doing. It's good to plan. If we don't plan, we'll never, we'll never get things done for the Lord. We'll never hit a target we don't aim at. It's good to plan. We should pray for our plans. Prayer helps. It changes things. And then we need to be mature enough in our faith to trust God when he allows those plans to not work out the way we wanted them to work out. Does all that make sense? I hope so. We have a God that still works in these ways. Uh, we're not going to sit down and write half the books of the New Testament. That ship has sailed. But if we plan and we pray and we trust God, he can still do great things through people who love him. Let's pray. Father God, uh, thank you for, if nothing else, reminding us, showing us that somebody that you loved, obviously, as much as you love Paul, uh, could have his plans changed. Um, that Paul could be arrested when he didn't want to be and ultimately executed when I'm sure that wasn't on his to-do list and part of his plans. So God, if nothing else, maybe it won't feel so strange for us next time our plans get derailed in a painful way. May we respond like Paul with joy through sadness, with priority based on our purpose, and that you might get your plans accomplished which is to glorify yourself through people who love you even in painful situations. We love you, Lord. Thank you for our time and your word. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.